Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ, even though it hurts me a little bit more this week with Tennessee dropping uh, the Tuesday night game to Tennessee Tech and the season from hell continuing Ah. on here. First four-game losing streak for Tony Vitello since he has been at UT, but because this is everything school HQ softball team right there in the top 10 inching closer and close to the top five and also uh tennessee basketball having one of the best weeks uh getting chris ludlam out of the portal from harvard to be the starting four jordan ganey coming in from usc upstate santiago vescovi returning for his last year of eligibility for the basketball team so they are now poised to be a preseason top 10 uh going from just outside the top 25 back to the preseason top 10 because you can't keep down everything school hq even as much as the ncaa might be trying to do so this week with donde plowman uh greg sankey 
and Philip Fulmer and Jeremy Pruitt and a lot of who's who uh, in Cincinnati for uh, what's going on um, with the, the hearings involving the University of Tennessee. So a busy time here on Rocky Top down there in Tequila, Georgia, my good friend and Valley University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. You you, you came out hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're giving me uh, give me real Chip Patterson vibes there to uh, <laughs> to start off with. But uh, yeah, man, good to be back. I'm glad you're uh, glad you're feeling better, dude. When I say, folks, not to get graphic on this podcast. Uh oh, we can stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say there was no Tuesday night pod uh, for Matt and I because um, some stomach issues that lasted for a saw. My wife, I leaned over. She was like, "Are you potting still?" And I was like. I'm absolutely not potting right now. That is, uh, that's, uh, it's not happening. Um, what was that term you used? Potting. What is, what is potting? Like podcasting potting. Oh, potting. I'm thinking TT. <laughs> I was like, potting? Is that like a, is that a euphemism? Is there something, am I missing something? No, potting. Okay. Like gotcha. doing a pod, yeah. Even though it really is podcasting, but that's more common now. But when I was, uh a wee lad and first getting into the podcasting game it was definitely potting i definitely think i said potting a lot more i think potting's more fun to say it's definitely more incorrect than just saying i'm podcasting but i've always been more more into the the potting uh <laughs> verbiage than podcasting hey whatever uh whatever floats your boat absolutely or finds the lost remote as andre 3000 would say there you go. There you go. Uh, Matt Green. Um, we can find you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Give him a follow there. Um, follow me in the show at Pod Chase Thomas and Chase Double underscore Thomas. Uh, more and more uh, shorts and reels and all kinds of good stuff popping out on our social media channel channels each and every day at uh, Chase Thomas Podcast on Instagram. Like and follow us there. YouTube full episodes up on the YouTube page. Shorts, reels, all that good stuff on youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe and if you're watching right here go ahead and pause and hit that subscribe button hit that thumbs up emoji and all that good stuff so uh and of course you can email us at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com for any of your college football questions that you might have for matt and myself and then as always if you want to support the show the easiest way to do so is to leave us a five-star rating and review why you like the show and all that good stuff uh, on your preferred podcast player, and especially if it is Apple and or Spotify. Matt Green, ESPN FPI projections are out. Football Power Index, it's a good one. NFL College, it's always gets the people going. You're especially. a big FPI guy. I'm a big S&P Plus. is probably my favorite. Mm. Bill Connolly's S&P Plus is my go-to, but I do like FPI as well. A lot of acronyms. I can't keep up. (laughs) There are a lot of acronyms. Uh, Baseball uh, analytics infested every other sport, so now there's just all kinds of uh, acronyms to remember. And I'm a big baseball guy, and I can't even really keep up. You know, Mm. like BABIP. Like, I can can get with some BABIP, you know. Batting average balls in play, yeah. Yeah, but they... What about FIP, Matt Green? Uh, FIP, I don't feel... Uh, that's fielding independent pitching? Yeah. Yeah, so... And then all the plus stats, they get ERA plus and mm-hmm. all these... Like, I think they're good ways probably to measure guys historically amongst each other, but I don't know. It's, it's hard to... Uh, it's hard to keep up with all of it. 
Speaking of hard to keep up with, um, who's where in the ESPN FPI standings? Which programs are trending up? What do the numbers say? Because we're like, I was listening to the Athlon Sports podcast uh, this afternoon on a walk, and they were doing their playoff contenders and that, and they were talking about um, getting the Athlon Sports magazine out this summer, putting the final touches on it. And I hadn't even considered like how tough that job is, especially now with the portal window and uh, getting it's stuff. It's impossible now. It's going to be out of date in some way, no matter what, because yeah. people keep popping in and out. I'm not sure what it's like. They're like the people. There'd be the lobbyists that are pushing for like these transfer portal windows. Wait, they need to do something about this. Our magazine is is out of date now. There's got they got to find some sort of sweet spot. I don't know this this portal window that just opened. I, we we probably should know this, but do you know when it closes? Because it's it's April 15th or something. I think it I think just it's 15th opened. to 30th. And then so it's a then, 15 day window. It's only so 15 anyone days. that transfers after May 1st is yeah. not eligible to play in 2023. Correct. Okay. So I guess they at least have that deadline to where mm. they can, they can scramble after May 1st. But it is just like, you think you have a good idea. So when you're doing these previews and stuff like that, and you're just thinking, you're like, uh, I think I have a good handle. And then two guys enter the portal and you're like, okay. And you also don't know if they're going to leave because a lot of these guys have put their name in the portal and then they might not go back because you go in the portal to see what your NIL value is and that kind of thing. So you get your positional rankings and all this and then a huge transfer. Yeah, I'm sure there there's so many lists and all American teams and rosters. Yeah, I don't know how these people, I don't know how they keep up. But also buy it because I love the Athlon Sports uh, preview magazine for college football each and every year. It's one of my uh, one of my favorites. So I'm excited that they're still doing that because I still like the hard copies. I, I like uh, can't going throw the them magazine. out either, man. I got no. one with like Champ Bailey on the cover. That's just like you see like the recruiting classes from back then. It's like it's a uh, nostalgic. Like I saw I was flipping through one and like Carl Crawford is like top five player in the country because I don't know if you remember for the, for the Rays. Mm-hmm. He was like the he had like a scholarship to UCLA or something to play basketball mm-hmm. and Nebraska was recruiting to play football and he plays like a decade plus in, in Major League Baseball, just a ridiculous athlete. But yeah, always going down memory lane. Just so many, uh, so many uh, just big time recruits from back in the day. Well, Matt Green, to bring it all back home, ESPN football power index came out this week and i was surprised by a pretty good percentage here because the projections um they go through not just uh, what your fpi is it includes like percentage of at least winning six games it has a projected win loss it has a projected uh win conference a playoff percentage it's all very interesting to me because i think there are some stuff where I'm like, okay, I'm here for it. But I think you and I might be on the same page um, with some of these. And for me, like, let me go through the top 10 here. Um, and then we can dive into this. Number one, Ohio State. Number two, Alabama. Number three, Georgia. Number four, LSU. So three of the four top teams in the SEC. Um, number five, Texas. Number six, we'll Michigan. Be the SEC. Yeah. <laughs> Numbers, yeah, that's true. Number seven, uh, USC. Number eight, Clemson. Number nine, Notre Dame. Number 10, Penn State. And just to throw the, these two in here, because one of them does include Tennessee. Number 11, uh, Oklahoma. And number 12, Tennessee. Volunteers. Oh, I knew you had to do it. I knew you had to go top 12. 
Yeah, I could, look, see, I could see it coming. I mean, the people were wondering about everything School HQ and where they fell <laughs> of course. in this list. But what jumps out to you just from what the the numbers and what the computers are expecting coming into uh, the 2023 football season? Matt Green here. I'd say it was a little surprising to see. Like, it's not shocking to see Ohio State number one, but mm. it's a little surprising to see them kind of with a little a little bit of a gap. Like on like there's a one point difference, not even a whole point difference between Alabama to Georgia, mm. and then like a like a three point difference to to Ohio State. So, and then how much better they have Ohio State being than Michigan is, uh, you know, from what we've seen the last two years, it's like that's kind of surprising because I don't feel like other than Ohio State just being Ohio State and like by default being a preseason top five team. It feels like there's a little more uncertainty coming into this year. I mean, I guess with the quarterback position at Ohio State, why would you think this guy would do anything other than throw 35 touchdowns and and five interceptions and and they have and they score 45 points a game because that's basically what they do with every single quarterback they have. So, other than just making assumptions, I think there is Ohio State doesn't seem like necessarily just the, the number one team, especially with what Georgia has coming back. I would. I was kind of expecting Georgia to be number one, hmm. but um, honestly, the most surprising you didn't even get to was Florida being like, what are what are they eighteen? Yeah, like I don't, I don't know how this is calculated exactly, but I, I would bet a lot of money that Florida's not a top eighteen team in the country next year. What is their win loss projection um, for Florida? What is it spitting out for? Even because like the thing is to look at the FPI six point eight and five point two. That's like the, what you got to look at. Projecting a seven and five team or a six and six. Like that's kind of what we were saying. I'll, ra- I'll like round the, it though. Yeah, you rounded. That's how you. I mean, that's that's part of it. But I think that's interesting because I think six and five, six and six, seven and five feels right for Florida. Is now. their schedule that difficult that there could be seven and five and you could argue that they're the eighteenth best team in the country? Like obviously they're going to play Georgia, but. I guess LSU, it's probably talent. And it's just Georgia like, and LSU could both potentially be in the SEC championship again next year. Well, speaking of that, LSU only has percentage of winning uh, their division. So you can sort through all these different things. And I was looking at their odds of winning the division. Tennessee actually has a bigger, better chance of winning their division per the projections in the East than LSU does in the West, which I thought, um, or no, never mind. 20% for LSU. I missed them. Okay. So 20% for LSU, but Bama at 74%. The numbers like Bama more than LSU here across the board. So Bama has a high playoff odd. They're number two here. I think that's kind of weird, Matt Green, because you and I have our doubts like Tommy Reese higher. I think that was kind of uninspired. Kevin Steele kind of uninspired. Like he probably should be an upgrade over Pete Golding, but like really how much are we looking at here? It's not like the talent, like is going to be all that different. Um, I just look at it. They haven't been able to figure out who's going to be the starter. Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow are going to go into fall camp battling this out. I don't know. I don't get get these Tyler Van Dyke rumors circling. Yeah. Who knows? Alabama, are they looking in the portal? They, isn't that weird though? Like are, I don't know what LSU has to do to be considered. Like they won the division last year. They brought a lot back. Jaden Daniels is back. That's something else to mention. Like the top three teams here, all are replacing their quarterback, all of them. Georgia, Bama, and Ohio State will all have new signal signal callers under center going into next year. So I think that's kind of bold to just expect all three are the best teams in the country 
all three going in with uncertainty at the most important position in the sport. I think I think it's because a quarterback, while it is important, it's not the most important. In the mm. NFL, the quarterback is everything because everyone has NFL rosters. But with college, it's like these teams at the top can just ha- be so deep at so many positions that you can almost plug a guy in and he has just like a minimum. Like he just has a floor of how good he's going to be just because of the offensive line he's got and the, the running backs and the receivers that are on his team and what how good the defense is and the position they're putting him in. So, I mean, you understand why there's an assumption that Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia are going to be at near the top of college football. But in, in terms of just Alabama and LSU, I'm, I am surprised because I think LSU is going to be better than Alabama next year because, I, I mean, we always talk about the, the year two, you know, spike of teams so lsu was ahead of schedule to even to actually beat bama last year obviously they have to go on the road and bryant denny this year to to, um when they play alabama but like you said with Jaden daniels coming back and like a year two of brian kelly like i i definitely see lsu being like at worst a 10 and 2 team like they're they're what not 9.6 to to 2.0 six or something in the in their little projection like 11.1 for alabama it's like that's that's a bigger gap than i would than i would think especially with alabama those are pretty equal uh out of conference games to start the season with alabama playing texas and lsu playing florida state like they don't neither necessarily has a more difficult or easier schedule you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's 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 a little surprising to see alabama with that much of an edge on LSU. Yeah, I'm just an LSU believer. I would just I like I'm hold I, I'm just I'm not buying the Bama stock yet. I'm more dubious of them just bouncing back and this just being uh, a dominating Alabama of all that we saw with the AJ McCarron years. I just I have my doubts. Um uh, but I feel like Bama's getting the the benefit of the doubt because they're Alabama and because their recruiting classes and because of the kind of talent they're going to have there, but I don't know. I'm not sold in the quarterback stuff. I'm not sold on Tommy Reese as offensive coordinator, I, I they're a huge wait and see for me uh, for Alabama. But talent wins out. Well, and so I'm not saying they're going to talk- go like nine and three, but like I think ten and two is on the table. Like I don't think they're going to be a better, better than LSU. Rule, I legitimate. I really don't rule out nine and three. Honestly, mm-hmm. like it's crazy to say because they haven't lost three games since 2010. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you look at what they were last year and what they were the year before. Like, they're playing a lot of close games. And they had Mm. the best quarterback in college football both of those years. Like, Caleb Williams on the Heisman. Hendon Hooker had a better season than Bryce Young. But when when it comes down to it, who are you taking? You you want one drive to win the game. Stetson Bennett had a great season. Give me Bryce Young all day. Like, Mm. he was the best quarterback in college football. And I think he should be the number one pick. I think he's the best quarterback that Alabama's ever had. So it's like their roster, the playmakers on the team, it's not the same level that it's been at. Jameer Gibbs, they got out of the portal, and he actually was that elite talent. Like he didn't have like the elite production necessarily that a Derrick Henry or a Najee Harris had, but you could watch him play and you're like, this guy's a baller. You look at the wide receivers and none of those guys – was Jermaine Burton their best receiver last year? Like Jermaine Burton is like fine. He's not, he's not like half of what the last six or seven, eight starting wide receivers they've had 
prior. Ja'Cory Brooks and, and Jermaine Burton just aren't on that level. So without Bryce Young to kind of elevate the rest of the team, I don't rule out a three. I, I wouldn't bet on a three-loss season, but I don't think it's out of the question. And I think LSU's got a lot coming back. And this all this talk about their what their motto for this season is run the damn ball or something like that, and they're hyping up their, their – whatever they're they're going back to the old days of smash mouth alabama football like i just don't think either one that that's that's a terrible idea Mm. but more likely it's just not true like Mm. it's why would if george you if george you're you build your model and then georgia comes along and they're like oh so the quote unquote the elite defense and running the ball doesn't work anymore right you have to be more you have to throw the ball you have to be more whatever up tempo high octane offense and todd monken comes into georgia if anything georgia started playing more other teams game and they actually got their offense to that elite level because while georgia's had an elite defense the whole time kirby's been there for the most part it's the offense that's kept it behind so if anything georgia got up to what national championship caliber was on both sides of the football and why if alabama could be could play elite defense they'd be doing it already like it's not like nick saban doesn't want to already have the best defense in college football so it's not there was nothing they were doing on offense that was preventing them from having an elite defense they had it in what 28 2018 2019 like they still had a really good defense it's just been these last couple years that it's it seems a little more you know down to earth back to earth like it's it's still a top 20 a really good defense but this idea that they're just going to go back to running the ball and playing aj mccarran it's like that i don't know why you would do that like you if you can score more points you're going to score more points so i don't know i don't know if their defense is good enough to to win scoring scoring 28 points like like they were back in in 2010 2011 or i had 2010 is a bad example 2011 and 2012 i agree with you um, final thing on FPI that I, I wanted to mention, I, they're higher on Clemson. So they like Garrett Riley, I think was a really sneaky, good hire, but everything is just coming up Florida state for me. And Florida state has a 4.4 playoff percent chance here. Clemson with 24%. They have them winning the ACC, uh, 50% shot for them and Florida state down there at 17%. I'm kind of surprised by that because I just, I think Florida State's going to be better, and I think they're going to be the best team in the ACC this year. I, I'm surprised that even with the Riley hire, I just I cannot wait for Florida State-Clemson this fall. It's going to be maybe – I mean, Florida State is going to be the team to watch this year. They're going to be must-see TV because they might play in two of the biggest games just all together. Matt Green, you remember who they opened with? Yeah, LSU. They opened with LSU. That's two potential playoff teams right out of the gate here. Lots changed in a year. Do you remember how it was last year? It's going to be a very different vibe. It than what really we saw. was. It was like, no one wants to win this game last yeah. year. This year, it's like, who wants to keep their playoff hopes alive and jumpstart this playoff type season? And then you get Clemson, where I just, I don't know. I am, I am very, very excited to see those two matchups. And I'm just kind of surprised that they're, the Florida State is not ahead of Clemson in some some early numbers and early projections here because I would place the Knowles in front of Clemson right now. And I was actually thinking that um, when we were talking about uh, who Alabama and um, who, who was the other one, like Alabama, Texas, and uh, yeah. LSU, Florida State early on, 
I was a little surprised to see Florida State all the way down there at 14. Like, mm. uh, I, I do expect Florida State to be one of the better teams in the ACC uh, this year. Honestly, a, a legit playoff contender. And honestly, yeah. how it's such a bummer that Georgia-Oklahoma got canceled this year. Mm. Look at some of those out-of-conference games we have, like, in the first, like, two or three. We could have had Georgia-Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Ohio State-Notre Dame. Alabama, Texas, and then um, LSU, Florida State, like even Florida, Utah is like yeah, that's another like solid, not not on the like par with those other ones, but it's a it's a bummer that we missed out on that one. But a lot of good out of conference games early on, for sure. Um, Matt Green, were you surprised Sark named Quinn the starter this soon? I I was not. I mean. Not really, because Ewers, I think, was the clear, like, incumbent, you know, and he's the guy they're talking about, like, being a first-round pick, like, next year, you know, he's in his third year out of high school, so, and honestly, with the way Arch Manning looked in the in the spring game, like, that's just, you know, one scrimmage, you know, in the entire spring uh, practice, but he didn't look, you know, overly impressive by any means, and so Ewers, what we saw him do at times last year, like, I mean, it might be a more of a case, like, sometimes you want the competition and you want to, like, whatever, like, iron sharpens iron. Sometimes you might, like, we need some leadership and this guy needs to be a leader on the team and his spot being solidified. Maybe that kind of, you know, plays a role in that decision making. But it's, it's not really surprising. I guess you could say just in April, it's it's a little it's a little early, I guess. Yeah, I just I think people were a little too. I, I was kind of surprised that people were like, "Oh, you don't want to keep Arch happy here." Like you, it's like I think the Mannings know. Like he's not like Peyton wasn't the original starter at UT. Like it's not like there's this expectation that he has to play right away, or he's going to enter the portal. Like I didn't get that vibe at all because Quinn can leave after this year if Quinn because yeah. remember he started at Ohio State and then last year. So if Quinn balls out and is just a superstar Heisman type quarterback, then he can just go to the NFL and then the job's arches next year. Anyway, I don't understand like the people who are freaking out about that of like naming Quinn. Now I'm like, I think it's smart to just nip that, to just nip that right now, nip it in the bud and just go, this is Quinn. He's only running with ones. Cause I think that's another that's important part. That's a good part. point. Yeah. That's like, a good point he's too. The like when, when Tebow was the backup, mm-hmm. it's like the fans just chanting for him. It's like, let's just go ahead. now. Quinn yours is the guy. And it's like, let's not forget Quinn yours is also the number one player in the country. Like, yeah. don't, don't, don't get ahead of yourself. Like the, the mystery box, you know, <laughs> it's like, you got the guy that was the number one player in the country. So you don't, you don't need to be, uh, you got a future one in the waiting too. Um, the Georgia spring game, Matt Green, you had, uh, some guys entering the portal before, after Barry Alexander, different guys here. You got a commitment flip Landon Thomas out of Colquitt. Who's like bounce. He's the classic snip, snap, snip, snap, uh, tied in out of Colquitt. Who's now back are with you, Ohio uh, or you, is he Ohio state or Florida state? Where is Landon Thomas now? Uh, Florida state. Are yeah. you already losing your Georgia roots? Because that is pronounced Colquitt, sir. What so. did I, it's Colquitt. It is that might be how it's spelled to you, but us us down here folk in Georgia, we say Colquitt. Down Colquitt here, County. folk. I'm sorry. How far is Colquitt <laughs> County from Decula, Georgia, Macri? It's a long ways there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm just saying, you got to get those Georgia pronunciations right. All right, Colquitt right. County. Um, I've been gone for three no. years, man. No, you're one of them now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you. I was watching. So I was watching the spring game. Um, 
I don't know. I was trying to find the Tennessee Spring. I don't know what channel that was on. I, I Georgia was on ESPN. You know, I don't know if it was on. It was mm. was on was on CSS or you know Bally Sports or I don't I don't know maybe, maybe oh sorry maybe maybe Versus I'm not I'm not sure what channel uh, Tennessee was on but ESPN I was watching Plus. it I don't know if you uh, <laughs> I don't know if you saw before the Georgia spring game on ESPN they did a college football playoff recap mm-hmm. went went like real detailed in the TCU Michigan game and then the Georgia Ohio State game probably mm-hmm. longer than they even did the TCU uh georgia game mm-hmm. and as i was watching this you know the confetti georgia celebrating the championship i just I couldn't help but think like i wish i wish our women's basketball team was better you know I, w- I wish i wish uh you know i wish our baseball team could 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 win some games sometimes you know it just it broke my heart you know winning those national championships in football it's like i wish we would be pretty good at everything you know so that's those are my thoughts over the weekend when I was watching the uh, the spring game. But no, on I a serious... <laughs> was that necessary, Matt Green? Was that a necessary uh, minute and a half monologue on not being an everything school? I thought it was a great bit. I mm-hmm. um, I, I stand by it. But uh, <laughs> watching, watching Georgia play, uh, I think Carson Beck solidified himself as the guy. Um, people obviously were talking about Vandegrift in the portal, and I think you're, you were talking about georgia portal issues and um well vandergriff's going in the portal he's just waiting to get the full year like that's the whole thing it's like he's not gonna learn a new offense and be thrust in i don't think a lot of guys are gonna make the jump but why do in we this know vandergriff is gonna go to the portal at, at some well point. whoever loses this job like if carson beck flames out or whatever then he's in the portal like it's why one of those can, things. why would carson why can't carson beck throw 30 touchdowns seven interceptions be second team all sec and put his name in the nfl draft no, he's coming back no that's a he's, a, he's doing back-to-back years I, how team. how do we know i mean this guy's he's he's supposed to I mean, he's got prototype size like mm. what six four two twenty or something like that like he's well gunner's out if he if he's out in a year and then brock takes over then it's gunner who's out but becky i mean he's got the prototype size and he's supposed to have a great arm so it's like carson mm. and he's has decent athleticism like he, he's not a statue he's a pocket passer for sure but I think that there's – I would not rule out him having a good season and going pro. Like, mm. especially after Jake Fromm going pro, like, when, when his stock was at an all-time low, like, that was just a terrible decision he made. But, like, it's not – I don't not, know, because he was never going to be, like, a like an all-time he – He's a four-year guy. He's yeah, a four-year guy. there's nothing wrong with that. But he left after his third year. Jake Fromm, he, he left yeah. early. I'm saying he should have stayed because he had no business – leaving mm. when his stock was at an all-time low like he had yeah like he had a terrible second half of 2019 but that's a side note i don't think you have to worry about that when you're a georgia quarterback at this point but carson beck yeah i mean and what georgia should have offensively he could have a great season vandegrift could get honestly with how athletic vandegrift looks i guarantee he gets some snaps as like a little dual threat direct snap type Do you have another foul time bowda on your hands matt green maybe we can only mm. hope so Vandergriff could be kind of a part of the team in like a very small capacity. Beck has a good year, goes pro, and then Vandergriff's the starter in 2024. It's like that's not out of the question. And then Vandergriff's a big time prospect too. Who knows? He could go pro early, and then it's and then it's Gunnar Stockton time. I'm just saying I'm not going to rule it out. Like these guys could all end up at Georgia. Maybe Dylan Rayola comes in, and and then Carson Beck decides to leave. But maybe maybe beats out Rayola. Who knows what happens? But I'm just saying 
Georgia is an elite program right now that's basically got the best of the best players at every other position, and that's a good spot to be in as a quarterback. So if you have any sort of avenue you can see to playing time and being the starter at Georgia, like you're going you're gonna to hold out as long as you can. Like You want to be a part of this team that's winning back-to-back national championships. Yeah, but we'll see what happens ultimately. It will all play itself out. But in terms of the spring game, Carson Beck looked really good. Uh, that little 87 run around returning kick sixes yeah. and stuff. Uh, Muse, I think was his last name. I walk on. Yeah. Mm. Balling just, out. Have, having a day. I mean, what were your what was your strongest takeaway from the spring game, Matt Green? What were, were your eyes and what were you focused on? Um, I would say, obviously, the quarterback's the biggest thing you wanted to see. Vandergriff is like an elite athlete. I think he is big time. So he, he has like kind of a funny release, but it's like it doesn't necessarily matter how you throw if you get it there. But he's got kind of a, a funky kind of sidearm uh, release, like a big wind-up release he's got. But, I mean, he looks like a good player. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But in terms of, you know, the rest of the team, a lot of the running backs were out for, for the spring game, so you couldn't really see a, a lot of that. But Dominic Lovett, I, I liked seeing him in a Georgia jersey. I feel like he looks like he looks like certain guys just move differently, and they mm. just move, like, just quicker, more explosive. And he looks like like probably the most explosive athlete in, in Georgia's receiver group now, to me. He looks like he's probably going to be that guy, that dynamic. I mean, obviously, McConkey is used kind of the same way, just – you know, making plays after the catch. So, and then like, you got to see Brock Bowers and Brock Bowers is just, he's just the man. So Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of weapons on offense. It was good seeing some of the freshmen like Xavier Sori. I know was a guy like he came in, I want to say that's the 2021 class, Uh, him and Smile Mondin were both five stars coming at the same time. And he kind of seemed like one of those guys that was developing into like a, a portal candidate. It's like, just Georgia with so many good linebackers and but he's gonna start recruiting right? freshmen. No, because I mean Mondin and uh No, I'm saying Dumas Mondin is gonna start, right? Yeah, like, both of them are gonna start. Yeah. They're back th- this year. So I'm saying Xavier Sori was one oh, okay. that people kinda even though he was a five star, I think he was ranked higher than Mondin. He was or they were about the same. Um I think he was one that and then this huge linebacker class they brought in in this these three freshmen in this one. So he was kind of one of those guys that people were speculating and he appears to have taken like a step up and mm. might be like that solid third inside linebacker kind of when like they had Quay Walker and Channing Tindall and Nicobe Dean all at the same time. So, you know, who, who knows really, uh, you know, how that depth chart is going to play out, but it's a loaded inside linebacker group, like per usual for Georgia. And then Sam and Pimba was a, a true freshman five-star that, I think it's rock number 26, which is just a weird number for like a pass rusher. Just looked very strange out there. But that dude's a, he's an athlete for sure. I think he five-star edge rusher. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, Tyke Smith, I'm hoping, the West Virginia transfer that Georgia hasn't gotten a lot out of uh, in the last couple years. He's looking like he's going to be the star position because Javon Bullard is going to move into that uh, Chris Smith spot at free safety. So, Maybe uh, Javon Bullard and, and uh, Malachi Starks as the starting safeties, and then uh, probably Tyke Smith at the star. But that I other think you're going to be fine. That other well, they moved spot, Bullard, right? They moved Bullard from star to safety. Yeah, so he, that, and that's what I'm saying. Tyke yeah. Smith is probably going to be that star, and 
he tore his ACL his first on year. one corner, and who's he going to be the other corner? And then that's the question that really the biggest, I guess, kind of the only question mark on the defense is is who's going to be that opposite corner? Maybe Dalen Everett, maybe Nylon Green. There's someone else. Um, maybe uh, who they've been hyping up recently? Um, Humphrey. Mm. I'm forget. I'm blanking on his first name. Number twelve. Hmm. He was the one that was the Florida the Florida commit that flipped to Georgia. What about Smoke Bouye? I did see him out there, mm. but um, I mean, I didn't. I'm not sure what he what impact he had. I didn't get a good look at him or anything. Okay, there you go. Uh, the Tennessee side of things, Matt Green. I know you said you were watching it. You had it bookmarked, so uh, you joke about ESPN Plus for the the network game, but. Um, People were dialed in, and it wasn't just you. I think it was Aaron. on Jefferson Pilot. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Aaron Murray out here saying Joe Milton is the most talented quarterback in the country. Damn good dog out here hyping up uh, Joe Milton over over Carson Beck or Brock Vandegrift. Like it was a it was an interesting interesting time this week um, on the Twitter sphere and keeping up with uh, who's saying what, Matt Green, but. Watching I would the game. say def- Joe Milton's definitely more physically gifted than those guys. I, I think everyone would agree with that. I just – Milton was fine. He had some hits and he had some misses. Nico flashed. He had the throw of the day. Um, I don't know if you saw it. Ethan Davis down the right-hand side. He navigated the pocket. Went on, like, it was just a five-star throw. Like, he rolled out, and it was just – he dropped it in a butt. Like, it's just such a horror. Like, dude just can't make that throw. It's one of those over-the-shoulder – the placement had to be perfect 20 yards down the field um on the right hand side of the field it was just it was it was disgusting like that kind of throw so that's that's what you're getting potentially is a guy like that it's a the bryce youngs of the world the arches those those kind of prospects it doesn't mean they're all going to put it together it doesn't mean they're going to be exactly what they could be but the flashes are there because this is what they are. They're coming in with like these little things. They're like, Oh, right. That's why this person's a five star. Now, can they put it all together? Can they do that over and over again? This and the other. Cause like Joe is a more, is a very, very talented, physically gifted player, but like, and more than Hendon hooker, but Hendon hooker had the tape uh, study. He had the leadership qualities. He had the, uh, escapability in the pocket, knowing when to get out of the pocket, knowing the offense in and out. Joe, he had to make up for some of the other stuff. He didn't have the deep ball Joe had, but his deep ball was pretty. His deep ball was where it needed to be most times. Like, he he was good enough. I get a lot of uh, Jamarcus Russell vibes from Joe Milton. He's not really Jamarcus. He's and that's like, not to say negatively about Jamarcus Russell's, like, quote, whatever character issues he may have, but just, like, as a player. Like, that, just an absolute cannon and, like, some mobility, but he doesn't really want to run. No, and I think we saw it a little bit in this game. He's lost some weight to maybe make him do it more, but I just I don't think that's how he's wired. Hinden was yeah. wired to dart when things were going awry in the pocket. Way more than I would have than he should have been, honestly. Yeah. With like the way he's built, like he's a like I mean, what is he like six three, six four? Mm. Like he, he's like, his height and weight, like he's a big guy, mm. but he's very lean. Like he's yeah. he's skin, he's looks pretty skinny and he would just lower his lower the shoulder on people like some questionable decisions at times well joe doesn't really do that and a lot of receivers like there were so many guys out it was just like chast Nimrod and caleb webb out there uh ethan davis the collins hill product flashed uh true freshman four star tight end but then he proceeded to break his collarbone in the game so he's out for a month 
Tennessee is just so thin uh, at the t- the tight end spot. They've got three guys that will be playing. Defense, they rotated a bunch. Um, running backs, they're going to be loaded. Like Cam Seldon, the true freshman, he's got just superstar written all over him. He's just a four-star running back out of Virginia who was in a super small school. A lot of people didn't know about him. And Tennessee was uh, an early E-valve win on him but he he had this run at the middle where i'm like oh this dude's gonna play because he's like the they don't know what to do with him yet like is he a receiver is he running back he, the Kadarius tony um percy harvin type guys um with this group so i'm excited to see what he is cordero patterson is lo- lofty what. uh expect uh comparisons right there well people want cordero like that's the common one here in tennessee because it's just that kind of that kind of player but We'll see if he matches up to it, but again, true freshman, but he's going to be good. I just, the offensive line, like they haven't gotten the right tackle spot settled. Left tackle, it's hopefully going to be the transfer from Miami, John Campbell. But if the tackles are bad and you don't have Darnell Wright on the right-hand side and the left tackle spot is not solidified and Joe is not the maneuver in the pocket uh, connoisseur like Hinden is, if things do break down, I'm just concerned that it's going to be bumpy. I think the offense is going to be worse. I'm not going to say that it's going to be bad because I think it's impossible with Josh Heupel's scheme to be bad, but I do think it's going to be a step back, and I think it's going to be a far more frustrating year for Tennessee until we get to the Nico year. So when people are like, they're a playoff sleeper or eight to nine wins is the FBI, like 12th best team in the country, I'm not really there. I think there's going to be a change at quarterback. I don't believe that Joe's going to make it through the full year. Um here i think the pressure is going to be high nico's going to be there you saw the flashes the fans are going to be tough uh when they struggle at home and we'll see what it looks like early but if joe drops the florida game on the road to this florida team and then you're on the ropes or you're going back and forth against utsa at home the following week i mean it's going to get interesting in a hurry i'm just i don't think it's going to be like the year last year where tennessee is right there uh, they control their own destiny to make the college football playoff in late November. I just, I have a hard time believing that's going to be the case. And I think the offensive line's worse. I think you're in, uh, you lost a lot of NFL talent with Cedric Tillman, Darnell Wright, Byron Young, just ended Hooker, just n- name after name, Jalen Hyatt. I think the receivers will be fine. I think they'll still be really good. I think the running backs will be better than they were a year ago. I think the offensive line takes a step back. I think quarterback takes a step back. And, that's just it's just not a playoff team i don't think this is a playoff team and i think the defense will be better like i think that's the big thing is the defense has to take a step you have a lot of like this last class was just defense 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 and you got to see some progress on that front but we'll see uh but my gut is just hey beat georgia at home and let's get let's let's start uh start the party early with nico under center a freshman year i i don't know everyone wants joe milton to work out i just don't believe it I think that honestly might be a blessing in disguise if they went like eight and four, nine mm-hmm. and three. That's like, let's bring the expectations back down a little bit. Like we're back to being good. Like mm. we're not just like, we're not trying to just like win national championships now. That's not where we're at yet. But um, honestly, I think anything like eight and four or better that included a win over Georgia, I think is a success. Yeah. It's just like, don't lose to Florida. If you lose like to a nine Florida and three team. with that, with that marquee win feels great because that's all it comes down to really it's like it's it's the big games like if a season can just feel a whole lot better when you go undefeated against your rivals or something like that like it or or a lot of mark rick seasons where you went you're like yeah we went 10 and 3 but 
we lost to like the three three most important games to the teams we cared the most about beating. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. There you go. Matt Green, the Big 12 revisited as we move on in our conference series. We're out of the Big 10, the SEC, the, the power two. So they deserve their own two different sides of the division here. When we go to the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12. It's still get, power five. Still power five to me. It's not. It's the power two. And Tell me Cincinnati and UCF and BYU. This isn't a – and who am I for? Houston? Yeah. Saying that's not a power five conference, sir? Put some respect on the Big 12. Well, when TCU you're here, just they, beat that team that came out of the Big 10. Yes, they did, Matt they, Green. Um, but – those two, the top four again, like no one's talking about that. The top four expected Michigan, Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia. Like that's basically what it was last year, right? We ended last year saying the four best teams were probably those four, like probably the best four. How is TCU not one of the four best teams last year? We don't have to relitigate this. I'm not doing They beat Michigan. I'm saying you play the game a hundred times. Healthy Blake Corum. And they might win 51 times. Who knows? Maybe. The Big 12, though, Matt Green, who overachieved the most? Is it the obvious TCU, or do you have another team in your mind here? I uh, wanted to get cheeky here, you know, um, but I couldn't. Uh, it's definitely TCU because mm. I, I started to say Kansas State, but I feel like Kansas State kind of has some underachieve hmm. uh, like elements as well uh, with how they went with their quarterback position. But you look at TCU – Seven games they had were decided by one score. Six of those were wins. So obviously they beat Kansas State the first time, but but lost to them in the in the uh, in the Big Twelve Championship. So they were a really good team. But like you're literally talking right now, they lost in the national championship game. This isn't the BCS where you just put them in there top two and you're like, oh, they had no business being there. Like they won a playoff game. They beat number two to get to that game. And so they obviously did deserve that, but right now you're saying they're not a top four team. So I feel like that that really, by definition, they did kind of overachieve because every game came down to the wire. The uh, call them the hypno toads. I was calling them the pyro toads during the season because uh, they were playing with fire, and uh, every week they they just found a way to to win, except for the Big Twelve championship. But um, yeah, I think you'd have to say TCU overachieved because. What are the expectations? Like they're probably like preseason, like fourth or something in the Big Twelve next year. Like no one's gonna like you know propel this into them being like the best team in the Big Twelve. I think that's probably right, Matt Green. I I think they overachieved, but it's also like you had a Heisman quarterback, you had an elite offensive mind in Garrett Riley, and we'll see what the downgrade going from Riley to Kendall Bryles is. Cindy Dykes. Um, lot of success they had a lot like he just pushed all the right buttons like you had a great defense you switched that up a little bit you embarrassed texas again on prime time which is what tcu loves to do year over year um but i don't know if it was i guess it they are the overachievement team because like you said they freaking made the college football national championship game yeah like, that's probably not happening again in our lifetime. I, I feel comfortable saying that TCU will never make the college football national championship again. Like, sorry, Horn Frogs. But, like, when we go to 12-team playoff and expand even more, it's just they're not going to have the players. Look at their recruiting classes right now and look at what they're going to end up doing. They just – the enrollment's too small. They're not doing that year over year. That being said, Matt Green, I think I'm, 
I'm mm-hmm. not putting it past them because of the advantage of an Oklahoma, Texas, Liss, uh, Big 12. Like, they could become one. I mean, they they have a uh, – like, Gary Patterson has a statue, you mm-hmm. know, like for what he did in the 2000s to 2010s. Like, they were a really good football program. So, I mean, in Dallas, Fort Worth, like, I'm not going to rule out TCU. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a long shot to ever make another national championship, but – there's no reason that they can't be one of the, you know, perennial contenders to win the Big 12 every year. Here's the real answer. It's the Kansas Jayhawks, who had an over-under mm. of two and a half coming into the year. They went bowling, Matt Green. I don't know how we don't go Kansas. Lance Leipold got an extension. He got the, uh, the flirtation from Nebraska, Wisconsin. Like, his name was popping up in huge jobs. Dude staying in Kansas. He pulls... Uh, Bill Snyder's son, <laughs> uh, the Kansas State legend, the Snyder name, uh, just dominating the Little Apple. They move over to uh, to be his like special assistant or executive uh, associate, his consigliere, basically. Um, for assistant to the regional manager. Yeah, basically that. Kansas went six and six, Macri. This was supposed to be a bad team. Like, they were fun. The offense was great. One of the best offenses in the conference. The defense sucked. They were must-see TV week over week. They went bowling. I don't care. Kansas going bowling this year and being a 500 football team, being in some close games with good teams as well. They had a fun game against TCU, Macarena, if you remember. The national championship loser, TCU. Got all the way up there. Kansas, I think, is the overachievement team for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think uh, I think Lance Leipold did a did a great job with that team. I think um, I don't I don't like I don't mind that I don't mind that pick. Underachieved. There are a lot of ways you can go this one. Overachieved. There's only I think those two. Underachieved in this conference. You could have some fun, Matt Green. You could go Iowa State. You could go Oklahoma. You could go Baylor. You could go Texas. There are a lot of different ways you could go here. Yeah, you didn't name. You didn't even name the team that I'm going with. Oh, wow. The Oklahoma State Cowboys, sir. Really? This team was preseason number 12. They mm. started. They were got as high as number 7. I think they started like 6-1. and one, Lost six of, five of their last six games to end the season. Like, mm. Spencer Sanders seemed to regress as his career at Oklahoma State went on. I think... Like kind of the way we talked about the big uh, the Big Ten West this year, like with Iowa, Wisconsin have kind of like been the class of the Big Ten West. Minnesota, it was such a missed opportunity that they didn't win the Big Ten West that year. That's kind of how I feel with Oklahoma State. It's like Texas and Oklahoma just kind of dominate this conference, and they're they're both not really obviously Oklahoma's not that good and, and another thing you lost to Oklahoma like for like <laughs> the seventh time in the last eight years like this is your chance to beat Oklahoma keep them from going to a bowl game like just an embarrassing season and they got to they got to end it on a on a good note with a win in bedlam so like just a lot of missed opportunities for Oklahoma State last year like they're a team that's just like they're, you can almost pencil them in for like 10 wins like almost every year, at least nine wins every year under Mike Gundy. And uh, last year, what were they, seven and five, seven and six on the season? Like just not a, not a good year for Oklahoma State. I like that pick. I'm going to go their in-state rival, the Oklahoma Sooners. I understand. It's a new coach. You're moving yeah. away from 
the Lincoln Riley offense. But Jeff Lebby, it's not like this is like some grand departure. They went triple option this year. It wasn't like the offense wasn't good and you didn't have quarterback options and players everywhere. It wasn't like you were still in the blue chip ratio. The players. Mm-hmm. They, uh-huh. South Park, they took our jobs. They took our players. That's what happened. They, it's not USC what happened. They took their players. Like, I feel like it's year one. I definitely give someone a pass. I don't want to um, interrupt you, though. I apologize. Go, go on. I would say, though, you still had talent everywhere. You still had Marvin Mims, the Eric Grays, the Dylan Gabriels. You were still the 30th offense in the country. That's fine. Year one. You were 99th in defense. That's my problem. Brent Venables is a defensive-minded coach, and they were somehow a worse defense than any of the years we saw with Lincoln Riley's bunch. They took a huge step back, and what did we say before the year? Like, why is Ted Roof your DC? Why is Brent Venables making Ted Roof his DC? This is such a weird hire. Don't do this. Don't do this. It doesn't work out anywhere for, for teams that hired Ted Roof to be their defensive coordinator. There, that is not acceptable to finish the year 6-7 and seven at Oklahoma. They win the Big 12. They walk into the Big 12 title game year over year over year. The standard's different. I understand it can be hard, and it's not an easy transition from time to time. I don't care. Like, it is okay if you're Oklahoma in the Big 12. It's not like you took over an Oklahoma team that was already in the SEC, Matt Green. I understand 6-6 six and six if they were in the SEC year one. And Brent Venables is getting his getting his just bearings right. And he's like, okay, this is a pretty tough schedule by and large. You lost basically 124 in back-to-back weeks to Texas and TCU. You got blanked by Texas 49-0. A very overrated and topsy-turvy Texas team all year long. You look at this. You had barely beat Kansas. You barely beat Iowa State. You lose to Baylor. Lose at West Virginia. Lose at Texas Tech. Lose at Florida State. You lost four or five. It wasn't like they got better as the season went on. It wasn't like Brent Venables figured it out. And then you see going into next year, it's like there's a lot of top 10 Oklahoma. Should they win the Big 12? And I'm like, man, I don't know. I I don't know if I've seen enough to be like, yeah, Brent Venables in this group – they're going to be the right choice. They're going to be the right guys to keep this thing humming in Norman. I They're recruiting really well. That's obviously a big part of it. But I don't know. I think it's fair to be like, no, you should have at least been worst case scenario 8-4 and four, year one in the Big 12 with this schedule. Don't care. You should have been 8-4 and four at the minimum. They were a yeah. joke some weeks. 49 I mean, nothing to Texas? The, the fact that they had like a defensive-minded coach, it is year one. So I just I give a lot of leeway to year one of a new head coach. Brian but, Kelly won the SEC West. But that's like incredible that he did that. Like that's that's a breakthrough. Like that's not what's supposed to happen. Sonny Dykes won the Big 12. Like that's not supposed to happen. Like a but lot you're of coaches, Oklahoma. You could have argued Kirby that they were Smart in a better situation. Lost to Vanderbilt. Like it's Things happen, so I, I just I don't I don't make too big of a deal about year one. But to have a defensive-minded head coach, and you're just giving up like 49 points, like what four or five different times in, yeah. the, se- in the season, like I don't know. They were they were 99th in the country and in, in points allowed. Like it was definitely bad. But I don't know. I just give a little leeway for year one. Best game. Mike Gundy's is- a man. He's like 50, what five years old or something at this point. I know he was 40 at some point. But uh, he's been there for a long time, and it's no excuse for him. There you go. Um, a lot of shots fired at Oklahoma. We pissed off both sides of the aisle here. Um, here on the who over, underachieved. 
Um, best game, and why was it Baylor TCU, Matt Green? Is it, can it be any other game? It can't be any other game. That was like one of my favorite games the entire season. Baylor TCU with the fire drill at the end. Uh, TCU just escaped on the road. That's when uh, that's when they captured the hearts of the nation. I think is that uh, that because I'm just thinking like there's no way you can complete a pass to the middle of the field with no timeouts left, and that's what they did. And it was a bold strategy, and it uh, and it worked out. Baylor not going for it too to ice the game. Like just some real real loser mentality. Uh, from the bears here it's like you're not playing for anything man like you're barely you're gonna go to a ball but like you're not playing for a national title you don't have to play it safe you have you an opportunity be playing to- for a for a field storm that's yes what you be playing for like your moment of like oh we beat a top five team or whatever tcu was at the time yeah i mean i don't think people will like it's one of those you have to go back and watch because i remember in real time you and i were texting where i was like no 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 because no. like remember tennessee folks were locked in very very heavily and i was trying to tell my uncles the whole time and my family i'm like look tcu is not going to be the roadblock to tennessee getting into the net the college ball playoff i'm just until i see it i'm not believing that that was going to be the case and it wouldn't have been the case matt green because ultimately uh tcu lost in the big 12 title game um to kansas state anyway you think tennessee get gets in the playoff without a loss to south carolina yeah, I think they beat, they get it over Ohio State. I yes. guess with Georgia being the one loss, that's fair. Yeah. Um, all that being said, them getting on the field and just kicking that field goal is one of my favorite college football moments the last couple of years. Like, it, it was really just was. insane that they were able to do that. Like, it was one of those where you're just like, you sit there for five seconds where you're like, what just happened? Did they and actually yeah, just pull that off? Because you thought it was over. And you don't, you just don't see that very often with the yeah. with the kick and the clock actually running down and having to get it off. So it was it was awesome. Yeah, that was definitely the best game of the season for me. Um, Matt Green, should these fans expect the twenty twenty three results most or twenty twenty two results most years from the teams we have not talked about here? So Iowa State goes one and eight in the Big Twelve this past year, four and eight overall. They scored a combined 242 points. To put that in perspective, TCU scored almost 600 um, this year. So, and they allowed 243 points, <laughs> which isn't great. Matt Green, I mean, if you're not an Iowa State fan, are you just like, Matt Campbell really waited too long um, to, get out of, to get out of Ames? Maybe he's happy and that's just it, but is this – are they quietly going to be in the dungeon? Is it NIL stuff? Are they going to struggle to keep guys? Are they going to continue to struggle to just make this all work? Or are they just always going to be a blip team where they're going to have a Brock Purdy every now and then, and then they're going to be nine and three, eight and four, the Brees Halls of the world. And then they just go back to three and nine, four and eight. Most times like, I mean, should Iowa state fans accept these kind of really bad down years every now and then? Yeah, well, just just making generalizations because we don't know Matt Campbell, you know, as a person. Maybe he's just happy in Ames, Iowa, like mm-hmm. all that. But it definitely feels like the definition of overplaying your hand. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you were good. People liked you. You're the the upstart program. But Iowa State, I think, had a ceiling, and that ceiling was playing a competitive Big Twelve championship game, right? Like, I don't even know if winning the Big Twelve, but but getting there, like that's they could do that. So, yeah, I mean. They're a team that's like a program that's had their like their awful years, but they've had some like decent years also in, in the last 20, 30 years. So 
you know, they definitely don't expect to be at the bottom of the Big 12, but, you know, obviously somebody's got to finish down there, and Iowa, Iowa State is not going to be on the, upper, on the upper half. No, no, they are not. Um, Baylor, on the other hand, I want to throw this out at you, 6-6. Six and six. They lose four straight in the year, four and five in conference. I think this is a big year for Dave Aranda in uh, Baylor country. You bet on Blake Shapin over uh, Gary Bohannon, who moves on to South Florida. And then Blake Shapin, I think, got worse than what he was a year ago. He was he was just flat out not good for most of last year. Um, should Baylor fans expect most years to be around bowl eligibility? And then you have the every now and then 9-3, and 10-2? and two, Or do you think they have grown past that and actually should have a higher standard of what the a down year should look like in Waco? I would say this is probably, like, about the floor. Like, this is just not – this is definitely not what you want. But I, I think I think the, the – you still make a bowl game. It's like that's that's what Baylor should be. But, yeah, I, I don't know if you accept that. I guess, I guess you do as a program of, like, yeah, we can just be good once every, like, three or four years. Like, maybe that's good enough. I don't know. But I don't, I don't think there's any reason why Baylor can't be, like, consistently – in the top half of the conference. Like we saw what Art Briles were where they were as a program at that time, obviously off or the field Matt stuff, too. not Yeah, exactly. So they've had years where they're a really good team and finishing top 10 or so. So I think um there's no reason that like getting to the Big 12 championship wouldn't be their a reasonable goal for them to have every single year. That's fair. Uh, West Virginia, three and six, five and seven overall. Miss a bowl game. Most people thought Neil Brown was going to get ousted, and Neil Brown did not. Matt Green has Morgantown lost its luster. Are they just kind of a five hundred to below five hundred program year over year, or do you think that this is a program that can be a lot more? And they just they haven't found the right coach and need to get back to that run and gun, smoking musket. Fun, 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 Steve Slayton, Geno Smith, Pat White type offenses to get this thing cooking again. Well, it's like this is why I struggle with the with our uh, little superlatives we do of under under uh, what am I trying to say? Underachieving and over underachieving. There you go. Mm. Underachieving and then like just disappointing. Because mm. West Virginia definitely was the most disappointing team last year. Like. Got JT Daniels, like, oh, Graham Harrell, like, you know, this could be something special offensively. And they were just terrible. Mm. And so they were, like, the most disappointing. But I don't know if I would call them underachieving because I feel like they were just a bad team. Like, they were they were just not good. So, um, I yeah, West Virginia, to me, maybe it's because I grew up uh, in the Pat White days. But uh, I, I – it's just weird with them being in the Big 12. So, like, since they've been in the Big 12, they have never been a consistent, like, contender for the Big 12 championship. But, like, those Big East days, it's like they were a good, like, solid program year in and year out. And I think mean, even in the 90s, I think they went to, like, an Orange Bowl here and there. Like, so, I don't know. I, I think uh, West Virginia in this in this new – climate of college football it's like it's hard to you know maybe they maybe their best days are behind them but you know with what we've seen like morgantown when they when it's a big time when it's a good team like that's it's a tough place to play so i like to think that that west virginia is capable of more 
Yeah, I would hope so too, because I think they're one of those teams which is fun. I prefer West Virginia being fun. It's one of those schools too. I just think they should be required to have a fun offense. Like you almost made a national title game with a fun offense. Like, sorry, you just have to be fun. Like I don't care what that means, but the you can't hide the Neil Browns of the world. The defense first. Like I don't, I don't want that out of my West Virginia Mountaineers. Matt Green, not at all. Last team I want to throw out. They were probably the sneakiest team here. Four hundred forty-five points per game. Uh, points total this year 379 given up defense wasn't great but texas tech quietly ended the year winning four straight and they finish eight and five overall um six and one at home there is that lubbock home field advantage you see the fpi they are a top 20 team coming into next year i think there's some if there is a early who's the next who's the most likely to follow the tcu path in 2023 i think texas tech might deserve a lot of that uh, love at the moment, but Matt Green, do you think Joe McGuire has this thing cooking? And based on what we've seen from the best of Texas Tech over the last 20 years, that hey, this should be like they should be one of the premier programs, especially in a new Big 12 world going forward. Is there a case that they should be the premier program in the Big 12? I don't. I don't see it mm. at all, really. I I feel like there's a lot of people that have talked about them as being like kind of a dark horse team coming into next year with what they were and you kind of made the case for them, but I don't know. Like I'm not saying they're out, they aren't, but they're going to have to prove it uh, before I'm going to give, give them the benefit of the doubt. I just, I don't necessarily te- see Texas tech like eight and five. That, that mm. seems going to like what, what the, the Texas bowl or something, you know, whatever that one that's played in like the Texan stadium. I don't know what it's called, but um, I don't know Th- that those seem like the, the good years for for texas tech like eight and five it's like it's it's playing in the alamo bowl or something like that like yeah that's that's fine i love their schedule they get oregon week two that's gonna be a good litmus test to see where they are as a program um but they end the year november 24th at texas that might decide who goes to the big 12 title game that's gonna be fun go ahead and pencil that one in i think both are gonna be really good both offenses should be really good i think texas texas tech's gonna be really fun this fall all I got is a pen, but I'm, I'm writing it down right now. Thank you. Uh, most underrated player in the Big 12 last year was who, Matt Green? Oh, you know who the most underrated player in the – he's still the most underrated player. My guy, Deuce Vaughn, man. Second mm. team, all Big 12. He's got over 1,500 yards rushing, and he's the, the, the dual threat receiving uh, out of the backfield too. Projected like a fifth rounder now. I think, it, what do they list him at? Like 5'6", 175. Like, this Darren guy, Sproles 2.0. I'm saying, like, this guy, Darren Sproles played like 15 years in the NFL. Like, no one could get a good shot on him. Like, I just feel like Deuce Vaughn, he's just like a playmaker. Like, he just, he's got that little something extra. The difference between ordinary and extraordinary. <laughs> it's that little bit extra. I just um deuce vaughn i just uh he does get some love but in in terms of like i thought he'd get a little more nfl love obviously he's not prototype size but man this guy just he just balls every every time he plays i like that pick for me it's jalen daniels um he was Mm. he was good man and it wasn't just because he's kansas like it's kansas so he gets overlooked but that man was just when he was healthy that kansas team was different and i i don't know i'm very very interested to see what he looks like for kansas going into next year because 
he was he was a lot of fun um, by and large. But you he came through in big games. He was uh, dual threat. He had games where like the Houston game, twelve carries, hundred twenty three yards. Following week, Duke, eleven carries, eighty nine yards. But he was still throwing twenty to thirty times a game. High completion percentage, like. Not not a lot of picks, 18 TDs, four picks as a whole, completing almost 70% of his passes. I don't know, man. I think Jalen Daniels, and he is just kind of a kind of a difference maker, and he's back here for Kansas next year. I'm very excited to see what Kansas looks like um, and what they can build off what we saw last year in Lawrence. So Jalen Daniels, I think, was the most underrated player people did not know, was just an awesome, awesome quarterback in the conference. Yeah, and if he doesn't get hurt too, like mm. I kind of wonder how many games Kansas State or Kansas could have won last year because they were they were on a roll there for for a few weeks. Um, also, I want to throw in um, Will Howard too. Mm. Uh, can't, just making it all a Kansas State love fest. That's why it's uh, I I started to say Kansas State was kind of underachieved mm. because of the way they mismanaged the quarterback spot when when they went back to Taylor Martinez after. Uh, not Taylor, Adrian Martinez. I got mm-hmm. all the Martinez is confused. After they went back to Adrian Martinez, after Will Howard had his good game, then what, when they finally went to him full time, like this offense was completely different. Like 15 touchdowns of four picks, like win the Big 12. Like Will Howard, uh, I think he, he could be a sneaky one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12 next year. I think that's true. Um, most overrated player in the big 12 last year was who Matt green i got another two-parter here so <clears throat> so i my first answer the one i want to say if you would ask me this like a month ago xavier worthy he hmm. was second team all big 12 last year we all know about like the speed like he's big time recruit like five star and everything but he just dropped a lot of passes last year. Like there was just way too many drops to be considered that elite receiver that he kind of is. But supposedly he played last year with a broken hand. And if you got a broken hand, I imagine that makes it a little difficult to catch a football. So I don't know when he broke his hand, if it was, you know, what, what game that was, but maybe we should give him a little slack. He Maybe he could go right back to being kind of what he looked like he was going to be as a, as a true freshman because he was a baller as a true freshman, and I was a little disappointed with him last year. But also I think Quinn Ewers. So I, I think Quinn Ewers might be the most overrated player right now today hmm. because there's kind of this narrative that he got hurt and then the whole season, you know, Quinn to shit. You know, it's like, oh, you know, if Quinn Ewers is healthy, you know, yeah, maybe if he stays healthy in that Alabama game, they beat Alabama. Like, with the way he was playing in, like, the first quarter, I I can definitely make that argument. I've made that argument myself. But he missed, like, three games. And then he played the second half of the season, and he just has a lot of those, like, the TCU game. I I had him pulled up somewhere. um, 17 of 39 for 171 yards. Zero touchdowns, one pick. Like, he just had a lot of those, you know, 58% completions this year. Like, he just 15 touchdowns, six picks. Like, he's a redshirt freshman, so he's not supposed to be a finished product. But I, I feel like we kind of talk about him like he's a known commodity and like he's clearly like a Heisman, you know, finalist. Like, this guy, he's going to be number one pick or whatever pick behind uh, Caleb Williams and um, blanking on North Carolina. Drake quarterback May. that's your Drake guy May. how are you blanking on, Drake <laughs> I'm blanking on his name 
But um, so he's obviously like we know about how big time the pedigree coming out of high school. But he, he still needs to do it in college before he, he's kind of deserving of, of the amount of hype he gets. That's fair. Um, for me, it might sting for you. JT Daniels. Oh, is most- he overrated? Five star. He was going to come in. Graham Harrell, OC. It's like, hey, he still was the guy, right? Like, there was some hype. I don't know if you remember the summer of JT where it's like he's reuniting with Graham Harrell. Like, West Virginia is going to be fun again. Like, they're a Big 12 dark horse. He didn't lose the job to Stetson. It was more of an injury thing. And then Stetson was just so good he didn't get his job back. Because, like, he was okay. Like, JT Daniels did not struggle in Athens. That was not the issue for JT. He really did. It was like an injury situation that um, prevented him from uh, just maintaining that job. It wasn't a play situation. There was a play situation in Morgantown this year. He goes 61% completion percentage. 2,000 yards total, 6.4 yards per attempt. But to put that in perspective, it was 7.7 last year, uh, or two years ago with UGA. 13 TDs, 9 picks. He was not good. There were some lines at Iowa State, 8 for 22 for 81 yards, 36% completion rate. TCU game was probably his best one. But, like, he was awful. See, we have different definitions of overrated, I think. Mm. I think you're saying, like, the most disappointing player last year i would say because i was one of the ones i was like west virginia could be kind of sneaky with jt daniels i i i'll i'll, I'll own that i think mm-hmm. that was one of my predictions last year but this man's at rice now like no one no one thinks he's good anymore well, i'm saying he was overrated based on what we saw going into last year because people thought that hey he was going to be fun and this was going to be a really interesting fun west virginia football team and they were not fun or good and jt daniels was bad for most of the year so and then like yeah, you said, the backyard that's why brawl the backyard brawl was a lot of fun against pittsburgh and that's basically where the fun ended speaking of the fun ending uh our last question here on the full ride here on this thursday evening matt green most difficult spot for this coach in 2023 is who who do you think's going in with the just most uncomfortable coaching position? Well, it's it's kind of I mean, it's hard to say because Sarkeesian has by far the most pressure, right? It's kind of like a Ryan Day situation. He obviously hasn't accomplished half of what Ryan Day has at Ohio State mm. uh, at Texas, but it's it's like they're kind of talked about like a known commodity like texas but they're kind of talked about that every single year like that yeah texas is going to be in the big 12 championship so there's a lot of pressure i think especially when oklahoma appears to be down that like tcu just played for a national title texas christian university has played for a national title we've never even made the playoff like i think there's a a lot of pressure at texas i think this is the what makes Texas the job that it is is it's it's a pressure cooker, and if they, if there's if they're if they don't win the Big Twelve, if they're not in the Big Twelve championship, I think this season is a failure for Texas. So I think the the pieces are there to do it. So it's it's not it's hard to say he's in a bad position because it should be Texas's time now. But if if they don't get it done, I think there's a there's a lot of pressure turned up, or the, the temperature is turned up a lot in 2024. I think Sark's the best answer here, but I also think Dave Aranda deserves a shout-out. Like, I think Dave Aranda needs to have a good year. Um, this is a critical year three for him, correct? Isn't this year three? 
Is that right? I can look that up. I think it's year three for him. He hasn't broken through yet. He had the good first year with Grimes as his OC, brings him in from BYU after really bombing with uh, with uh, Larry Fedora. Uh, so this right will up. be year four. Next this will year. be year four. Okay. He's 20 and 16 overall. And it kind of speaks to what we were saying before, where it's like, this is, I mean, the, you went 12 and two, two years ago. Great year. Um, yeah, finished top five. Like yeah. that's big time. But then you went back and the first year, the COVID year was a nightmare. 20, uh, 2020 was two and seven. I'm just curious what he actually is as a coach. Cause he's all over the place to this point in Waco. So I'm curious what Baylor fans are thinking about Dave Aranda. And if he has another down year, that's three of his four years in Waco are average to subpar. And I don't See, know if that, I don't know if that flies in Waco anymore. Like I said, year one, you throw out year one. Year mm. one being the pandemic 2020, like, you might as well forget that it ever even happened. Yeah. Like, it's that that's such a weird position to be in as a first-year head, first-time head coach as well, to, to have to coach through 2020. So they went 12-2 and two in 2021, and then obviously the 6-7 the and seven season last year, huge step back. But I just don't feel like there's that pressure at Baylor that, like, he has to show something next year. Like, if they go eight and four, like, what are they going to say at, at, at Baylor? Like, there's there's going to be zero hot seat talk. Like, they're just they'll be fine. Like, what? But what, what if you... they go five and seven or four and eight? Yeah that that would that would definitely change the conversation. But I don't know. It's it's year four. Like. I don't know. He had he had a year where they won the Sugar Bowl. It's like I feel like that. How many years does that buy you at Baylor? Like finished top five, won the Big Twelve. Like I don't know. I feel like that probably bought him like five years right there. Like from twenty twenty one. Like so I don't know. I, I I'd give Aranda, especially because he's just he's a young coach. He like I feel like he's like a likable guy. Like I don't know. I just I feel like Aranda seems like he's in a good position of like. I kind of like where Baylor is moving forward. We'll see. I just, I'm not throwing out there. I think Sark's the answer here, but I do think Dave Aranda is entering a very, very interesting year four. I would say Venables is in a much more precarious situation than someone like Aranda. Like, because Venables, like, they have, they go seven and five next year. Like, that hot seat talk is probably already going to start after year two. Like, Oklahoma doesn't do that. Like, he gets Bob three. Stoops won a national yeah. title like year two, right? Like, yeah. and then they just proceeded to win eleven games like every year from then on out. Like, the thing that's helping him is they're recruiting at a top five, top six level right now. So that's true. If the recruiting wasn't there and they're losing like this, I think it's a different story. I think he's going to get a little bit more time though, just because the recruiting's pretty strong. And they're, I think, in the lead for that five-star defensive tackle, uh, Williams Nawari. Uh, Tennessee and Oklahoma are battling for him, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and then and then TCU and Kansas State. It's like with the seasons they had in twenty. Like th- I that think they're fine. Them, like Chris Kleiman's got a job as long, long as he wants like, it. Sunny yeah. Dykes is fine for a long time. Kansas yeah. State. It's their first Big Twelve title since since what? Did uh definitely L Roberson? They no, definitely it had won to be one, the, then, one of the but, years with Colin Klein. When they but that's the what I was gonna Bowl. say. Did they win a Big Twelve with Colin Klein? Well, I think I say that, and I'm like Oklahoma won it for like seven years in a row. Um, 
what Big 12 champion passed? Uh, I don't know if Kansas State ever won during the Concline years, now that I think about it. They were in the Orange Bowl. Um, hmm. Kansas State's won it 11 times. Or, Is that right? No, not 11. Never. That's I don't know what that stat is. What was I just looking at? I was like, that's not right. Um... This is fun podcasting here. Yeah, we gotta, uh, we gotta keep moving. <laughs> They've won w- twice. They won it twice. Oklahoma's won it eleven times. So Texas has only won like it three 03. times. Man. Mm. Wow. Good stuff. Well, that's all I've got. Matt Green here. Um, next week, uh, do you want to do ACC or Pac-12? We should probably do ACC, right? And wrap up with the Pac-12. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right, for that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt Green, for myself up here in Everything School HQ, Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all we've got, and I will talk to you next week. Hey, when you're listening to this, Sacktown. Sacktown's about to be up 3-0 on the Golden State Warriors. Let's go. Light the beam. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.